Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, kid. The register's right on. What happened tonight? Yeah, actually, I'd like to thank the fine folks at Adderall for keeping my drawer exact this evening. Um, I can't take all the credit, because, you know, Adderall, it never makes me feel bad at all. What can I get you? Drunk? Welcome to episode 28 of Behind Bars, Cocktails and Wasted Nights. I'm your host, Greg. I've been working as a bartender for over 20 years, and over those years, I've seen a lot. My goal here is to share some of those high and low lights with you. Quick warning, this podcast contains sex, drugs, and some language that isn't suitable for anyone under 21 years of age, so you gotta have some ID. First things first, shout out to Monty Rushmore LLC for the great review. I'm truly not worthy. Are you sure you are reviewing the right podcast? Any whoozlebees, if you'd like to whet your whistle first, do what Monty Rushmore did and write a positive review for the podcast. And before we get started, let's set you up with a joke for your next bar excursion. Oh, and let me give you a tip on bar jokes. When you're sharing a joke with a bartender, even if it's great, don't recite one of those long story jokes. We have shit to do. Anything with a main character acting out the magic number of three things is not allowed keep them short and sweet. Oh, and know the punchline for fuck's sake. Now that we've had that tough talk, here's one I wrote. I was drinking in a bar the other day when I heard this old bachelor with the same lament about a lost love. He said, she's the one who got away. Then I got worried because what if he has others tied up more securely in the basement? I don't know. Makes me laugh. Okay, before we get started, you'll need a drink. For this one, I recommend the You're So Vain. Named for the Carly Simon song I'd hear at least twice a week in Dimples, the karaoke dive bar in Burbank I almost went irreversibly mad in during the early 2000s. This is a karaoke episode, and that drink was the only decent one I could find named for a classic tune. So, first, chill a martini glass or coupe with ice water. In a mixing tin filled with ice, add one and a half ounces of Belvedere Smagori Forest, which is probably one of those bonus bottles you get when you order a couple cases of the regular shit. Sorry, that's an inside the industry thing. Half ounce of grappa, half ounce of Dolan Blanc, and a splash of orange blossom water. On the splash, think pencil dive, not cannonball. Stir and strain into your coupe and sip slowly because while it's svelte, it's going to be strong. And as always, and I'm purposely steering you into the skid because I'd fucking call Ripley's and have them put me down for or not if you actually have those ingredients, do this instead. Bust out a mirror or a plate, 
The grocery store saver card, crush and grind a hefty, glittery white rock, line it up, and beam it up, Scotty. Chase that with a shot of Jalisco silver, and we'll be twinsies. Oh, and side note, none of this rolled up cash shit. Spent a buck eighty-nine on a box of straws already. I mean, you are a faithful listener. Let's act like it. Good talk. Okay, on with the story. I like to consider myself a professional when it comes to bartending. I'll check all IDs. Okay, most IDs. The only exceptions are when you look my age or older, or if you're wearing anything from a poison shirt to a toupee. In that case, I'll just ask you to name a landlord from Three's Company, and if you can, you're good. Anyway, I won't cheat you. I won't send you over the edge. I always show up clean and groomed as though I was going out on a date, regardless of what I did to myself the night or nights before. I perform at a high level, smile, and practice patience the entire time I'm on the clock. Except this one time. It's going to be a ways to go, but trust me, hang in there and I'll get us there. After graduating Emerson in Boston, my screenwriting partner Matt and I moved back out to L.A. and scored a sweet pad in Hollywood. I had already locked up my night-day job at Dimples in Burbank, and he got an overnight production gig at KNX News Radio. We set our writing schedule and put our noses to the grindstone. By June, we set our course and were churning out what we thought was pure entertainment gold. I was so sure we'd sell something in the coming months, I told him that if I was still slinging booze at Dimples in February, he had my blessing to punch me in the face as hard as he could. Six song-ruining years later, he still hadn't taken me up on my offer, and we hadn't sold anything. He's one of the good ones. Dimples wasn't all bad, though. I got to sing several times a shift, had a bunch of memorable celebrity encounters, and scored some trysts with girls who were beyond out of my league. I remember bringing a girl home once while Matt was in his reading chair and seeing his mandible muscle fail. The next morning, he informed me that in Norse culture, a man is given entry to heaven based on the judgment of his deceased forefathers, and that if my male ancestors were seeing what was coming through the apartment door, I was all set. Meanwhile, all I could think was, if my male ancestors were looking down on me, I was going to start jerking off under an umbrella. Speaking of Scandinavian lore, here's another awful joke I made up. Where do Vikings go when they die? Valhalla. Where do gay Vikings go when they die? Valhalla! Sorry, I can't help it. Don't stop the podcast. Anyways, got way off track, and this episode isn't about that. I mean, not yet anyway. (laughs) We'll see where it goes. Okay, Tuesdays at Dimples was men's night, and domestic beers were $2.50 all night. I know, men's night. The boss, Sal, couldn't put me on ladies' night, but I was actually cool with that, because that was my Viper Room Metal Shop night or Ecstasy Disney Volleyball Strip Joint night, so whatevs. Point is, on Tuesdays, there was this acting class that came in after they workshopped. They were all broke, and the guys in the class smashed their $2.50 Bud Lights. A broke alumnus of note was Jeremy Renner. You may have heard of him. He used to hit on the server I was dating at the time, and she, of course, shut him down because he was a broke actor, and I at least could afford to take us to dinner, so... Good choice on her part. Matt and I had penned a hilarious high school baseball comedy about a super slugging shortstop with certain shortcomings who'd pummel pitchers at the plate, make sure his team had a comfortable lead, then pull an insane stunt to get ejected so he could shower alone. It was called The Big Fallacy. We sent the unsolicited script everywhere trying to land an option or representation, which we eventually got, but before then, we were young, hungry, and eager. Cut to me hitting up a couple of the Babyface Tuesday students I thought would be perfect for the main character and the buddy roles. They read it, loved it, said it was the funniest thing they ever read. With their enthusiasm, 
Matt and I tapped into our Emerson network, lined up a DP and a skeleton crew, and prepared to get out there and make it ourselves. A few weeks later, the actor for the buddy role hesitated. He said he had a callback for an audition he had. Callbacks are huge, but wasn't this the funniest thing he's read? It's great, man, seriously, he said. But this thing could be good for me, I don't know. Can I read it, I asked. Sure. He handed me the script, and I promised I'd have it back to him the next night. It had agency covers, a production company attached. This thing was pretty much greenlit, like he wasn't supposed to give it to me greenlit. I devoured it, hating every page. That's the thing about trying to make it. On the way up, you gotta be nice and read and watch everyone's shit. It's exhausting and time-consuming, but you never know who's gonna break, so you place a lot of bets on a lot of tables. He came by the bar the next night, and I handed over the script. Bought him a beer on top of it. What'd you think, he asked. Honestly, it read like sex in the city for dudes, I said. Yeah, he agreed. But obviously, I gotta take the role if I get it, he said, almost with a note of guilt. Of course you do, man, I said. I mean, let's see what happens, but I absolutely wish you luck. If it doesn't work out, we'll make the big fallacy happen. He agreed, chugged his beer, took his script, and walked out the front door into the blinding sunlight. Never saw Jerry again. He was busy being turtle on Entourage. What a different decade in L.A. we had. Fuck. Anyways, this is the kind of shit that went on. Always close to it, but never it myself. So, in addition to the added stress a normal night brings, I felt the rage of watching peers soar right past me. There was a karaoke host who landed a soap opera gig. Lex Luthor from Smallville was a regular. There was a guy who always got another national commercial. And on and on it went. I hadn't experienced that kind of jealousy ever before, and I just learned to swallow it and be in service to the chosen ones with a smile on my face. In the end, I guess it was good. It taught me to accept my lot in life and prepared me for most of my encounters in Aspen. But seriously, why them? Hashtag not me too. Now, juxtaposed to the chosen ones were my happy hour regulars. I had a love-hate relationship with most of them, save a few, and Larry Oki was one. Guy never once pissed me off. If you haven't heard the earlier episodes, Larry Oki was the karaoke enthusiast who'd balance out my drunken states with his gravity blow. It was the uncrushable, flaky kind that always fell out of your nostrils, but if it did go up the facial fallopian tube and attach itself to the mucous membrane, it was just a mass there impregnating you with a nasal blow baby. My breathing sounded like Rick Moranis in Spaceballs. Then there was Jim, the window washer with the gun belt with pencils in the bullet holders. Dave, the Stephen King lookalike who was a fucking sweetheart who loved everyone, but it was most likely because he never came back from that last acid trip he must have taken in the 80s. Robert, the stuttering stuntman. Ray, the Brit who'd get smashed on three brandies and climb into the cab of his pickup and get his spare keys out of the glove box after I confiscated his main ones. Matt, the workman's comp stagehand who tipped me in Vicodin. The other Dave, who was a wealthy forensic accountant who was a paid expert in trials. That Dave was amazing. He could mainline an entire bottle of Jaeger into his liver and belt out, stroke me, with vigor on a nightly basis. Then there was Terry the sound man in KJ, who was a former attorney covered in eczema and lived in an abandoned Winnebago in the parking lot. I still owe him a huge apology. He was the most annoying prick on the face of the planet. He couldn't ask you for a water. It had to be a wick. A water ice chimney. Yeah, that shit. Sal mainly kept him around out of guilt. And because Terry actually enjoyed dealing with customer service phone calls for faulty equipment, cable, and whatever else he could get a discount on. Anyways, he meant well, but fuck my life, I couldn't stand him. When his cat died, I wrote a fake suicide note from the cat, signed it with a paw print, and taped it to his camper's door. God, what an asshole I was. 
I'm literally ashamed of and beside myself right now because I hadn't thought of that until just now. Jesus. Fucking Greg. That's in the top five of the shittiest, most unlike me things I've ever done. Okay, I'm going to get it together and like a Lee nail, press on. But that was a huge tangent. Back to Sal, the owner of Dimples who made me work men's night instead of ladies' night. Sal was the best, worst boss I'd ever worked for. Jekyll and Hyde. He'd scream at me for using a napkin and not a coaster because they cost money, yet happily pile up all the female servers and his other septuagenarian friends and take them to dinner, a strip joint, or some other place I wasn't invited to. So, he was simultaneously the most generous man and shrewd businessman I'd ever encountered. One year, I decided to donate my car to Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not saying this so you think I'm some saint. I truthfully wanted the write-off, and as a bartender, wanted to balance my karma. So yeah, totally selfish reasons. When I sat down with them, they asked about the value of the car. Well, the Kelly Blue Book says, and before I could get out the number, Sal hushed me and quoted about 2 k over its value, and they just went with it, earning me a huge refund that year. Hogs get fat, pigs get slaughtered, he told me. Every time I wanted to quit, he'd hear it through the grapevine, give me a raise without me asking, and on top of that, the man started a retirement fund for me. While that was all well and good, there was no chance in hell I'd be spending my earning years listening to Summer Nights and Love Shack as I aged in the neon-lit, dank black hole of broken dreams until I retired. Anyways, my favorite example of Sal's generosity took place on one of my 20-somethingth birthdays. Crazy Girls was a strip club on La Brea I'd taken a liking to. It was in walking distance from my apartment on Lanewood between Hollywood and Sunset, the drinks were fair, the girls were smoke shows, and I'd had success on several safaris there. My Moby Dick was a tall black girl who wore thigh-high vinyl boots, a long see-through capey robe thing, and went by Millennium. We were definitely an unlikely pair, and it took two years of my erosion love to finally make out with her, but that's as far as it went. But I digress. I liked the place because it always cleared my writer's block, the girls weren't aggressive about lap dances, and it was topless. In L.A., fully nude places don't allow alcohol because apparently men can't be trusted with whiskey and exposed vaginas, and that law is probably right. I don't like the fully nude review anyway because I hate a $20 cover, a $10 Red Bull, and a biology show. Just give me a topless girl in a G-string who will hang with me for the price of a top-shelf cocktail, some free blizz, and I'm fucking good. Anyways, my birthday. I invited Matt, obviously, and a few close friends. Millennium had ecstasy for all of us, and the club waved the cover for my plus ones. They even gave us a booth, and we weren't going to let them down on this night. We planned on spending money. The ecstasy took effect pretty quick, which led to me smoking a joint with one of the girls in the little alleyway in back, and pretty soon, that Vicodin kicked in, and I was starting to get drunk, so I snorted some fat keys into my face hole. When I got back from the bathroom, there at my booth was my boss, Sal, with three of his senior citizen cohorts and a smattering of regulars. My favorite among Sal's friends was Bob. Bob wore a toupee and shirts with sheer sleeves and fringe. Why? Because, get this, the guy was a professional archer, like Vegas show shit. I'd seen him shoot an arrow into a balloon his scantily clad assistant held in her mouth from across the packed bar onto the karaoke stage. No shit. The best part? His legal last name. Markworth. This sharpshooting Robin Hood was named Bob Markworth. I mean, talk about living up to your name. Now, if I could just work out how to live up to Studley. Anyways, that has nothing to do with the story, but I wanted to share that shit with you guys because I find it fascinating. Back to Crazy Girls. Sal, his friends, and the regulars are there, and I am fucking loaded. Inebriated to the point where I'm worried he might fire me because I'm such a degenerate and he's never seen this side of me before. But Sal's in Jekyll party mode. Within three minutes, he turned our booth into a G-string-clad bacchanal. 
He was dumping cash all over the girls and buying everyone lap dances. Drinks were drunk, erections were erected, and the poor DJ had to announce a brief intermission after calling at least five feminine pseudonyms to the main stage that never responded as they were busy grinding against the laps of my friends and I. No Sapphire, no Lyrica, no Destiny, no Gia, and no Millennium. There were other girls working the stage that night, but they too picked up the scent of stacks from our booth and homed in the way a credit card tapping a mirror usually signals a location. Fucking sex bats. A couple hours and a few thousand dollars later, it was last call, and a sprightly number in a schoolgirl outfit came up to me. Your boss wanted me to give you the last dance of the night, hon. Maybe it was because I was loaded, hard too long, or just plain broken and ready to give up and reveal all government secrets after this pleasure torture, but I came back with... Honestly, girl, I've done so many drugs and had so many drinks, I can't feel anything below my neck right now. She laughed, and I, inhibition-free, continued, But, I live a block away, and if you want to go back there and fuck, that would be awesome. Yes, I really said that, and yes, she really agreed. After being as blown away as my dulled reflexes would allow, I politely asked that she bring a few of her costumes along, as I loved a fashion show. You guys already know this about me. We all said our goodbyes, and my new friend... Matt and his, and I, made our way for the short walk back to our apartment. We lived in a super nice place, and the girls were impressed, until we passed our speed-freak neighbor who was sitting in a dusting of plaster flakes as he dutifully chiseled out his hanging doorbell with Duran Duran's Hungry Like the Wolf blasting on repeat. Hey, I said. Hey, he said. He was nonplussed by the two of us with Babe stepping over his leg, and they didn't seem to mind him much either. We got in, poured some drinks, set the lighting, put on some hair rock, and retired to our bedrooms. I secretly popped a blue diamond Phillips and waited for my metabolic system to deliver Pfizer's goods to mini-me. Within seconds, I had my quarry dolled up in a naughty nurse number strutting around my room. I loved it. We did some bumps off each other's cleavage. I had her dance for me, and with my empty stomach, my PED boner started overcoming the other shit coursing through my veins. We started kissing, and I unzipped her vinyl wrapper. We did more bumps off each other, then got on my bed. I really like your fangs, she said. I'd love if you leaned over and bit my neck. For those of you who don't know me, I have some sharp canines, or bicuspids, or whatever the fuck they are. They've always been a source of embarrassment for me. Like, once on Halloween, I went to work with a puffy shirt, bandana, hoop earrings, and an eye patch. Some bright spark asked what I was dressed as. Um, a pirate, I said. Then why do you have fangs? She asked, genuinely confused. Because they're attached to my fucking gums, I said, and I walked away. This night, however, they came in handy. She got on all fours and I got behind her. Always one to follow directions, I leaned over and gently bit her neck. She moaned. Then I tipped over and fell off the bed. I was too high or drunk or rolling or numb. No equilibrium. She laughed her face off with an oh my god. I was dying too. It was hilarious. Uh, hold on, I said. I, uh, I need some water. I wasn't going to fumble around for clothes, but I did have a roommate, so I did the classy thing and threw a towel on my cock and walked out of my bedroom. There, buck naked except for a towel hanging on my Viagra boner, I found Matt in the hallway standing against his bathroom door, trying the knob to no avail. He looked at me, then the bathroom door, then back at me. You could tell he was dealing with some shit, and the sight of mostly naked me was no relief. What's up, man? I asked. She came in my room, took off all her clothes, and I was like, cool. Then she said, suck my toes, and I was like, no. Then she kicked me a bunch of times, ran out, and locked herself in my bathroom. Shit, man. Uh, what's all What's all this? He asked, motioning to my wardrobe. I'm dealing with some shit too, bro, I said, and walked to the kitchen, ass out. 
I poured two waters and passed him again in the hall. Just come out and we'll talk about it, he pleaded. No, she yelled from inside. Matt threw up his hands in surrender. Make sure she doesn't steal anything, I said, and I went inside my room to right the wrongs. What a fucking night. Anyways, that is all to say I credit Sal for his generosity leading to that night. He definitely escalated it and made us look like ballers, and that night, we were. But, as I said at the top, there was a ton of shit he didn't invite me to either. I don't want to sound ungrateful, but there was this one place in particular he didn't take me to that contributed to the bitter end. He'd taken girls who'd worked there one month, and in some cases girls who didn't even work there, and always with his old buddies, while I worked. To add insult to injury, I was the guy who had to make all the drinks for their ride in his downmarket limo on the way to this place. Well, after a terrible writing meeting, after six years of enduring karaoke in the dimple circus of regulars, after not selling a movie, after another near miss, after another messy breakup with the enemy, after my mom calling me for the umpteenth time, and as a joke asking if I was going to be on Kimmel yet, after feeling myself get older, after my undiagnosed mental illness worsened, and finally, after Sal took another batch of bitches to the fucking Playboy Mansion without me, I was in a horrible place. It was a Friday. It was five. It was hot. I was barely set up when I found myself blending a batch of Cosmos for the limo, getting every mansion trekker his or her beer, cocktail and wine, setting up the circus, and taking on an unusually high amount of parties. I was also the karaoke host in the KJ. So, drinks, hosting, setting up songs, making CDs of performances, running food orders with special requests to the pissed-off chef, unbearable heat, and inhaling the dank smell of a basement combined with Coke farts and Sour Bar... I was there. I was fucking there. The thing that broke me? A trio of mentally challenged Carl's Jr. employees needling and needling me, asking if I had a certain song, whilst songbooks were ubiquitous. I thought I was on a hidden camera show. I couldn't do it. I just kept focusing on, I couldn't do it. The cavalry wasn't coming till 8. I made it to about 6.45, and we'd only gotten busier. Finally, one of the aforementioned challenged Carl's Jr. employees yelled at me, on mic from the stage, somehow blaming me for Stevie Wonder's superstition being in the wrong key. What in the actual fuck? I'm not going to repeat any of the now inappropriate names for his condition that ricocheted in my own head, but there was a slew. I didn't know I was dealing with blankety fucking blank Mozart. I lost my shit. My quote, co-workers were all at the mansion, drinking, frolicking, celebrities, thongs, tits, the fifth time, all while I was dealing with fast food workers criticizing what they thought was my incorrect modulation of a Stevie Wonder song. I stuffed all my tips into my pockets until they were full. Then, I untucked my shirt and dumped the rest of my cash into the pouch I made with the bottom of it. And I walked out. I passed our 21-year-old new hire door guy and said, You wanted to bartend so badly? Here's your shot, kid. And with that, I committed the cardinal sin of bartending. I walked out on my shift. So yeah, there was that one time I was unprofessional. Well... It's last call, so let me give you a tip. If you're a Texan outside of Texas, don't order a ranch water. It's not a thing. More tips for Texans to follow. You're welcome, Colorado. Folks, it's been a blast. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And a call to my fellow booze-slingers. Send in your stories to cockedtalesandwastednights at gmail.com. You can remain anonymous if you'd like. Thanks for listening, subscribing, downloading, and spreading the word. Don't be afraid to give me a good review, even if you're lying. If you want to support the podcast, check it out on Patreon. I don't have any extra shit there, but I'll happily accept donations. Eh, worth a try. Oh, and check out my video, Just Close It, on YouTube, 
We'll see you next time on Behind Bars, Cocktails and Wasted Nights. Cheers! Before we get started, let's set you up with a joke for your next bar excursion. Ugh, fuck. Named for the Carly Simon song I'd hear at least twice a week in Dimples, the karaoke dive bar in Burbank, I almost went... Er, uh, the grocery store... The grocery store saver card. Fuck. Crush and grind a heffy... I always show up clean and groomed as though I was going out on a date, regardless of what I did myself. Fuck. I was so sure we'd sell something in the con... Oh, fuck. If my male ancestors were looking down at me, I was going to start jerking off under an umbrella. Matt and I had been... <laughs> he handed me the script, and I promised I'd have him... <laughs> Sal mainly kept him around out of guilt, and because Terry actually enjoyed dealing with customer service reps on a... Fuck. I secretly popped a blue diamond Phillips and waited for him... <laughs> Shit. Setting up the circus and taking on an unusually amount... I thought I was on a hidden camera show. I couldn't do it. I just kept focusing... Ah, oh, fuck.